0: Welcome to Cooper Talk, I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people, you know, with the move coming up, we're selling some stuff around the house, and I put some shelves on Facebook the other day, and I wanted to sell them for $25, and some guy actually asked me if I would take five. What do people, what goes through someone's mind? I mean, that is just like, I can see, you go to bargain, you know, you, you want to get a deal, so you made make 20, 15, but five. And I didn't respond. I was going to wrap, respond in something really snide, but uh, Joanne said, "Don't. It's bad, karma, But I just can't believe some idiot would just offer five dollars. Anyway, we have a great show today. I'm very uh, excited to have my guest on. Uh, hit him up on Twitter. And he is kind enough to be on the show. My guest is Stephen Pearson. How are you doing, Stephen?
1: Real good. How are you? I got to follow. I got to follow that.
0: Hey, you know, it's hey. You know, have you ever sold? Have you ever put up something for sale and someone just offers you you some? Just, not even close to the price?
1: No, but I do turn down offers quite a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, I was reading, you know, when you were a kid, you were really into auto racing, right?
1: Drag racing, yeah. I was a pit crew member.
0: Now, how did you, what, what spurred your interest in that? Was it just watching on TV or, or what made you so interested in that when you were a kid?
1: Um, it just, when I was young, like grade school, everywhere I went, there happened to be a, a top-field car or funny car in the late 60s near my house. And it was just ironic. And then me and a friend of mine, we went to the races, and I just got into it. And then I just started seeing these cars in the neighborhood, which is really odd, even across the street from one of my schools, grade schools, there was this, this car called the Hawaiian Funny Car. Roman Leon's funny car. And I go over there and I touch it and go, wow, I'd like to drive this funny and Then I moved to Westchester and then I ride my bike and there's this dragster sitting there. The guy's working on it, Walt Rhodes. Uh, the car was called the Gas House Gang and he's you Walt Roads And I stopped and I talked to him. I go, hey, you know, I go to the races and stuff. I live right here nearby, a couple blocks. And he goes, well, hang on, you know. Uh, you like this stuff, huh? And I go, yeah. And I just started going to races and working with his car every weekend,
0: you know. And had did you have any uh, inclination towards music at that time? Or was it just, you were just really no. gung-ho?
1: No, I was just, you know, dabbling in, you know, bad things. And, well, not really bad things yet, but... uh and, and listening to Black Sabbath on headphones and you know, that kind of a thing and went to kegger parties at school and stuff. So, you know, music was the furthest thing from my mind. I wanted to drive one of these cars when I got to be 18, you know, 17, 18.
0: And now you were in an accident when you were in high school? And is that what really put you on the path to music?
1: Yeah, we were out with the race car in uh, 70, 71, coming from NG, Indiana, internationals with Walt, and um, I end up my my mom had remarried, ended up in this in San Diego. She goes, "Well, you're going to have to be dropped off here because we're, I'm moving. We're moving." And so I was just planting in this new neighborhood, and we lived on this huge hill, and and uh, I was careless, and you know, collided with a car, and busted both legs, and they said, well, guess what, you're never going to drive one of those. Uh, And I went, oh, okay, well, thanks. And while I was recuperating, you know, I was in there for a good five months in the hospital, and somebody gave me an acoustic guitar, and to this day, I don't know who it was, but I adapted to it, like, immediately. I mean, you know, when when a friend of my sister's, uh, he was a guitar player, he showed me my first chords, and I started writing my own songs right away. And then, you know, the rest is history.
0: That is pretty amazing. I mean, you just took right to it. And, yeah, you know, it is a that someone just gave you probably to take your mind off and occupy you. And who would have thought yeah. that them giving you a guitar where you end up years later having this fantastic career?
1: Yeah, I don't know who it was. It, it's, it's almost like a mystery. Who knows? Maybe it was... Uh, <laughs> some crazy spirit or something said here this is what you're doing now and you know i went through the mo- I, I mean I, became, I was a guitar player first and then all of a sudden you know it's hey can you sing And you know, i'm like i don't know if, if people <laughs> still think i can't sing to this day you know but uh i call it yelling at people but it uh it's lasted quite a bit
0: now, what kind of songs were you writing when you started writing? Because you're young. Were you writing dark songs, love songs? What, what was in your, in, your, uh, in your wheelhouse back repertoire. then?
1: Well, some of the songs I, that were way involved, um, this was around 77, 78, when I started. Uh, I was in a couple bands, and then I decided to create my own band, Mickey Rat. And I was writing these really strange songs, they're extraterrestrial, they're about, you know, the Tigris River and the light and the dark. And and then out of the blue, I started writing like, you got it, in your direction, tell the world. Uh, uh, all these songs that ended up on the EP uh, were actually Mickey Rat songs, except for You Think You're Tough, which Robin and I wrote, um, Around 82 or something, early 83. And, you know, uh, then, you know, In Your Direction was an old Mickey Rat song, Top Secret. Uh, So I just brought those into the, you know, parlay. And uh, then when Warren and Robin, uh, we established the band, uh, the first incarnation of Rat was with another drummer and uh, bass player but before that you know jakey lee was in the band uh, in 81 82 the band was just turning into rat just with different people
0: how did you come up with um, name? The,
1: the, the songwriting you know took a different turn you know warren and robin and i sat at rat mansion west which was a one bedroom apartment i had And we literally bounced track to track from two cassette players and wrote round and round, you know. So we discovered we had this interesting way of writing. And then when Juan came into the picture, we were off and running. Everybody just threw in their songs and still happens to this day.
0: How did you you come up with the name Mickey Rat? And then how did it end up getting shortened to Rat?
1: Well, Mickey Rat was a uh, an X-rated cartoon character uh, from Robert Gump, I believe out of San Francisco. And a friend of mine turned me on to this magazine, and Mickey Rat's a totally opposite of Mickey Mouse. You know, he parties, gets laid. And, right. You know, he goes to Disneyland, which is a pile of crap, not a not the mountain. <laughs> you know, per <for> se. <laughs> so. I found it kind of funny. I went, well, guess what? I have a, a name for the band. It's called Mickey Rat, and I actually got a hold of the guy in the seventies and said, "Hey, I have a band called Mickey Rat. I'm going to add another T. Does that bother you?" And he said, "No." I went, oh, "You got it." Then there you go. There's another song you got it. I wrote uh, back in the day, um, but Mickey Rat. We were very well established in San Diego as Robin's band phenomenon, Jakey's band teaser, uh even Warren had a band in San Diego. And once I migrated up in nineteen eighty everybody kind of followed suit and that's because I met Van Halen in seventy eight as European sign, became friends and I went, This is the place to be. So we had to start all over. You know, we went from playing Golden Hall, Plaza Hall, Elmar Fairgrounds, always great places in San Diego had to start all over, which we didn't mind, you know? Um, and then I shortened the name to RAT because I wanted it to be identifiable visually as, you know, and as a term, like KISS. And I've told Gene uh, this, I go, hey, you know how I created my RAT logo is because I liked your your logo, which, which I believe Ace freely created. Um, but, and then it shortened it to, to R.A.T., like I said, 81, 82, started making a change, and then
0: decided, this is it, you know, R.A.T. What was it like when you guys hit L.A.? You said you had to start again, but what was the scene like then? Was it was it just chaos? Like, you see, like, the old documentaries, the Sunset Strip was just the place where people and kids, and like, you see these documentaries, you're like, man, because when you drive down it now, you're like, What the hell happened? But what was it like, and for you guys coming in a band, and as you say, starting pretty much having to start over, were you easily, were you getting good stage time quick, and when did you think people just started really recognizing you?
1: Well, I was like booking the band and hustling, and we were playing like seedy places, school dances, I mean, anywhere everywhere and anywhere, because I thought, hey, as long as the name is in the paper, I recorded the first single, uh, uh, an EP, when we fir- uh, not an EP, uh, a single, with two Mickey Rat songs, Dr. Rock and Driving on E. Uh, the first year we moved here, 1980, we used to throw them out at gigs, and it just said Rat on it. And we literally just, it, it wasn't the crazy scene that you saw in like 82 83 um, till like the mid80s or I guess um, which can never be du- never can be duplicated again um, but it, it was when the whole heavy you know British invasion came you know the iron maiden the priests and the Saxon and the you know uh, all of that and everybody was studs and metal, and we kind of didn't want to be a part of that. But it, what was interesting is, you know, we were trying to find out who the top dogs were in town, and it just so happened to be Motley. Uh, and they were trying to find out who the top dog is, and they heard this band called uh, Mickey Rat, Rats. And that's when Jakey was in the band, and then Robin came into the picture. But, uh, yeah, we had to start all over. We became the house band at uh uh, played uh, Anywhere and everywhere Madam was on East, West uh, We played places Where they'd pay me Pay us You know A hundred bucks Was like A few hundred bucks Back then They'd pay us A hundred bucks To not play It's like Go away You're too loud You're too weird you know? <laughs> uh, And then when the Original band Got together In 83 uh, We started Taking a foothold But uh, Like I said The correlation Between Motley and As we just Kind of met up hung out and, you know, uh, kind of hung out on the strip together before both of us really made it. And and so were many other bands, Wasp, and, and uh, you name it. Uh, uh, the Striper was Dante Fox. I mean, uh, 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 Striper was Rock's Regime. They were uh, a mainstay, because I was with Mickey Ratt. Um, you know, great like was uh, Dante Fox, I believe. Uh, everybody had different names, and uh, we just went to the motions. So this is how you do it, and you got to end up over there at the whiskey where Van Halen played. You know, so
0: that, that that's cool. In that's Houston. the goal. Like that 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 was like the big leagues. That's like where you were, that was the mecca, right, for you guys when you were starting out. Like, we got to get into the whiskey.
1: Hello, so everybody. And, and it was it was difficult to get in there. you know. We became, like I said, we became house fan of And eventually, those clubs had a rule. You can't play the Troubadour down the street. You can't play here. You can't play there for a month after you play. And we were like, well, that ain't going to fly with us, you know. Uh, so we ended up doing our first gigs with, uh, one of our first real gigs at the Whiskey was with Saxon. And I think that's what got our foot in the door to be uh, to uh, a mainstay there. And we became a house band at the Whiskey. That's why I still play there, you know, it's because it's such a great place, environment, you know. It feels good. And then from there, the next place you go is a Palladium. Uh, or you go to the Palace, or you go to the next big venue, and then you end up at Santa Monica Civic. And we had this follow suit, just like probably did. You know, you play everywhere, and you get bigger and bigger, and then you end up at Santa Monica Civic, and then hopefully you get a record deal, and you're off and running.
0: When, you know. when did you get that deal? When did, when did the industry start noticing you? I mean, I know you probably, you probably guys that are, were getting a big following, I'm sure, because you know you're picking up speed, momentum. But when did the industry start really courting you and saying, hey, you know what, we got to get these guys signed. we got to get them to get a record.
1: Yeah, you know, that's interesting because we were one of the last bands to be signed, and we were a great band that in the 83. We were like just ruthless on 10. We'd take on all comers, you know, played everywhere, anywhere. And uh, it, I think it was, I believe, the East um, in 83 through our manager's label, Time Coast, and it was doing very well, and it was getting played on radio and. and KMET, K- uh, K- uh, KNAC, uh, KLOS. Um, so people were taking notice, but nobody was coming out to see us. And then we played this one show, I believe it was at the Palace. Uh, might be wrong. And the president of Atlantic Records came out to see us, and, or, and a couple scouts, and they said, We like your band, we want to sign you. And we looked at each other and went, okay. If it's good enough for Zeppelin and Rolling Stones, it's good enough for Rat. So we signed with them. Yeah, it took dates and then went in and right, started pre-production for Out of the Cellar.
0: Now, when you sign with them, I mean, you, you had been writing a whole the whole while. Were you just mm-hmm. were, were you guys ready? Did you know what was going on that album? I mean, did you sit there and go, okay, we have this good repertoire of songs. We, we want to put these on, and did the record company work with you with the, on that?
1: Yeah, they had a staff producer, Bo Hill, who became a mainstay as our producer. Um, we had a batch of songs, you know, In Your Direction was another Mickey Rat song from the day. Um, we had ideas like Wanted Man, Round and Round wasn't quite a, a real song yet, but we played it live sometimes. Um, and so we had ideas, long had songs, lack of communication. Uh, so we were kind of ready. We had a batch of songs and we went into, uh, to do, you know, some, uh, pre-studio work there with Bo. And we said, what do you got? And we said, well, we got these. And then here's this song that we were still kind of working on round and round. Eddie listened to it and said we're gonna work on that one round and round. And we're like, okay. And we recorded the record and didn't take that long. And uh, off we ran. The record didn't hit right away. We had to go through a lot of uh, road work. And then it broke.
0: What is that feeling when you finally, you got done your first album? You know, you, you, you were done, you guys went in the studio, you worked hard, was it a was a relief feeling, like, okay, we got this done, or was it like, we got it done, now what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, we were, even when we did the EP, we were just like, well, we just recorded this, you know, some of the guys had recording uh, uh, before one, I believe, um, But we were ecstatic. We knew we had a great record. We knew we had great songs. We knew we could deliver live. Um, So we were just ready to go. You know, where do we go? Where do we go from here? You know, who can we play with, open up for, whatever. And and so we just did our thing. And eventually opened for Ozzy after Motley left. Uh, Did an extensive tour with him. Uh, Ended up uh, opening for Billy Squire and and uh, did a show at Easy Top. And then the record just really started taking off. And next thing you know, we're headlining our own big places and getting platinum and gold records. And the way we were going, the what, we, were, we were off and running.
0: What was it like being on the road with Ozzy?
1: Oh, crazy uncle Ozzy, man, come on. You, you, learned some, you, 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 <laughs> you learn a lot from Ozzy, you know. Back in the day, there was, there was, uh, uh there's just too much to, to tell there, you know. <laughs> it was experience, you
0: know. Now, the video round around. I mean, what was it like making that video? Did you guys have a say in what, in the storyboarding, in the uh, story, or that was, was that all come up by the, uh? Producers or, or the network is who How did you put that video? And did you ever think, I mean, everyone remembers that video. And that just like, that really helped catapult you guys too.
1: Yeah, as MTV was a new thing, I guess it started like 81, two or something. Uh, well, you know, it, it, that was an experience because our manager's uncle was Milton Burrow, Uncle Milty. And you know, it was like, hey, you know, you guys, you know, don't take things so seriously. It's got to be tongue-in-cheek, and, you know, you get more out of that than being serious, and everybody's trying to be heavy metal, and, you know, arg, and, you know, it's just beat everybody's face And Well, we wanted a lot of the girl audience, you know. Uh, so it was Milton Berle who literally created the table thing with him playing two parts, and he pretty much went in there and says, um... This is, this is what we're doing. Everybody kind of threw their hands up. and said, like, "Do it, Uncle Do it's, it's your game." And there was a bit of a storyline there. It was, it was set up. You know, it was written up, and we had some say. Uh, we wanted to have a live kind of performance setting. You know, let it, let people see us. Um, but we wanted it to be tongue-in-cheek, fun. As a few of our videos, we kept that same format. You know. I take it so seriously. It's only rock and roll. and But it was a great experience, you know, especially having Milton Berle in there because people were like, who is this guy? Well, eventually when you found out, it was crazy just to even have him in there, you know? Right.
0: That's what ever, there's always different stories. Like, who, you know, back when it came out, people were like, how did they get Milton Berle? And, like, the uncle, of course, was the one that came out, but there was different stories. You know, people were like, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe it was just crazy. And then what was it like for you then? You're the front man of this band, the video's huge, you're getting bigger. How does your life change? Because, you know, women have always loved you. I mean, you know. I, I, and, and, I said,
1: hate, and hated me. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> but no, I, I said, when I said my guest is coming on, people with long girls are like, oh my God, I would I wanted to marry him. And all that. So how did your life change? I mean, you're a bona fide. You know, there's one thing to be a rock star who's a guitarist or a drummer. But when you're the lead singer and you're just you it's a metal it was such a sex, a sex appeal business. The, you know, what was it like? I mean, how did your life change when you must have just started getting recognized everywhere and you must have been mobbed constantly?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of a compliment, you know, to this day to be noticed when I'm, like, walking my dog or going to a store looking like, you know, I've got, like, a Gartner hat, uh, boots, shorts, looking like some bum. People still figure out who I am. That's kind of cool, uh, I guess. Um, I, you know, we never took ourselves seriously, you know. We just, all we knew is we created the three Ps, and we lived by that motto. You know, we, we, you know, uh, I believe most of us at one time, some of us longer than others, and, uh, but we, you know, we grabbed everything by the horns, and we went with it. You know, I have no regrets, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like, um, you know, you just, you just live it, and, you know, we were nice about things, and cool, and, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, intend on going out there and, you know, literally raping and pillaging, you know, uh, but we had a great time, you know, and that's what we wanted to do. And it was just the norm. And, you know, we were just a, uh, that kind of a band, you know, except we're just a little undercover, you know, it was, it was our business, you know, um, Believe me, I've worn out probably a few platinum debauchery cards. You know,
0: <laughs> what are, what's some of the craziest? Platinum. What's some of the craziest stuff you've done?
1: Oh God, it was. I, I put some of it in my book, but you know, I still don't remember. I'm still being told stories of <laughs> you know what went down. I mean, after a while, when you're doing arena tours year after year after year, and 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 you really have no time to take a break. You got to go into the studio pre-production, you know, write songs, and there was no rest for us for years and years, which had a lot to do with the implosion of the group later on. Um, so there's too many crazy stories, and and all of them were, were it was fun, you know, you know, uh, but it takes its toll. I mean these, sometimes these bands now, they think they can live, and, you know, what we did back then, it's like, good luck, you know, we survived, and some of us didn't, a lot of our peers didn't, I mean, it takes its toll, I mean, that's why, you know, these days, I'm a, I, I, it's a total sober environment, because I want to hang around for a while, you know, Uh, so you live and learn, if you got away with something, leave it at that, you know, if you, so that's pretty much what it's at. You well, know,
0: that's a good—that's was... a good philosophy. I mean, you know, you're right because we do—we do want people. I had, a, I had a health scare a few years ago, and I said I had to change certain things in my life. And it's like the same thing. You know, you want to be around. I don't—I don't, I don't want to check out. You know, some people may want to, but I certainly didn't want to. Yeah, you know, and you go—you
1: know, this is a—you really, know, it, it's not an easy occupation. You know, it, it's like a, a roller coaster ride. It goes up, down, spins around, and you know, uh, if you're fortunate enough, like most, like a few of our bands, we can still go out and do what we do, and uh, which we're actually doing again. And we take years off, and it has nothing to do with not wanting to go out and make money or something. It has to do with like, do we have to do this again? I mean, haven't we done this long <laughs> enough? <laughs> yeah. That's why I do solo projects and solo records, you know, like Smash just came out recently, my fourth solo record. And, you know, we took our time with it and, and, and wrote so many songs and, and you know, things have to be done a lot differently. It still is the music business, you know, what's left of it. Um, so, yeah, you know, and then when you get kids, you grow up, you know, or you should. I mean, when you're into rock and roll, you you're an artist. You really don't. You know, uh, it's just this, it's that millisecond up there in that hour and a half or whatever you play that gets you off and that's,
0: is your writing process like now and has it changed over the years and is your focus on what you write about i mean because you've matured you've grown older you know yeah i mean older. how how have you how would you say your writing has changed throughout the years
1: um it depends on who i'm writing with or for if it's for a tv thing or if it's for uh, you know other things that i do uh if it's for rat we have our own schematic because of the writers and you know, Robin was a big part of that. Um, but we got three of us. We all write riffs and parts and full songs. And that's a whole nother breed of animal. When I do my solo stuff, I could be writing without Petrelli, Vertex, an industrial thing. I could write a pop punk record like Vicious Delight. Uh, I can write, you know, my solo records cover all angles because my lead guitar player, Eric Ferentino, with Smash, we wrote this whole record and we want it to be very, away with a lot more doing my soul stuff because I know there's no way in hell Well, this is it this is this is something i can work with and it turns into a great song um so smash is a very uh, thought out process uh, record of mine just came out mid-january uh, just finished a video for it 10 miles wide again 10 miles wide it's it's uh it has nothing to do with the relationship. It has to do with, um, you
0: know, interstellar things. You know. Now, to earlier you said, you know, what's left of the record business. Uh, how has the record business changed since you started? I mean, what What have you seen? You know, and because it seems like it's not. It's glorious. It used to be, you know. It used to be great. You know, I've talked to guests about this. But when you'd buy an album, you know, it was like a process. You'd go to the store, you'd look at the album cover, you'd hope the lyrics were on there, you know, and that was a bonus if the lyrics were there. I mean, how for you as a performer who's been successful? I mean, you sold millions and millions of albums. How have you seen a change in the business? And do you think it's going to keep going downhill?
1: No, there's quite. You know, I know a lot of these new bands coming out, and the best thing about them is they're independent. Now, in 1995, I started my own indie label, Topfield Records, because I knew something was going down. I wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. And it it, it started changing with the Internet and stuff, And, and there's a positive and a negative to it positive if you use it properly new bands and even even bands who have been around hey look you can label me classic whatever you want i don't care as long as the royalties keep rolling it you know uh it's business um but you know back in the day i mean there was a lot of payola a lot of ripping off artists you know and and people still collecting to the state you know um but it, it's changed a lot you know, the glamour is not there, and you don't sell albums. Like, you see, people are very short-minded. They want a song. Uh, but me, I believe in a full record. And, and, and a special thing about Smash is it's on vinyl, and that's how this record was recorded and written, to have a beginning, a middle, and the end. And you talk about lyrics. I've, I've never liked putting lyrics in records i think i did it once with rat on detonator which i didn't like doing and i did it on this new record smash because i was so outside with the lyrics it's tongue-in-cheek and it's serious and i wanted people to really understand what i'm saying because if they were trying to figure it out they could never figure it out you know um so you're right. yes, you'd get an album, you'd go to a store, you'd hang out, you'd open it up and look at the cover, and, you know, like uh, physical graffiti or sweet, you know, or give us a wink or something. There's always some cool about an album package, you know. That's why these kids are into vinyls these days, because not only is it analog, I don't think most of them know, but it, it sounds...
0: be the best feeling, I mean, you know, sitting there, you, you know, when you said earlier, you would listen to Black, uh, you would listen to Sabbath in your headphones, and then when you yeah. got to tour with Ozzy, I mean, for you, and, you know, you must just, I mean, it must be such a crazy feeling, you're like, holy shit, I, I oh. used to listen to this guy, and now we're partying with him, you know, we're, we're tour 100%, mates with him. You
1: know, yeah, 100%, And having the opportunity to hang with, you, you know, and get up there and sing a song with Hallford, you know, it was just mind boggling, you know, become friends and actually jam with Bloister Cult. I mean, come on, it's like, whoa, Alice Cooper. Uh, it's just crazy, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing, you know, And what we do. I mean, look, we, 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 do, we all do the same thing. I think everybody's finally understanding there is no competition with anybody. We never, when rap started, we had no competition. Our competition was ourselves. Our best friends were motley. We trolled the strip together. We all, we, we had nothing, any of us, you know. Uh, you know, you make friends, like I said, uh, with Rock's regime, which became striker to this day, the best friends, you know. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, uh, uh, this is a blessing, you know, and, it's it's uh it's it's privilege you know and it's still a privilege just to be out playing for people i mean at the end of every interview i will say hey i appreciate everybody that comes out that sees me comes sees the band because look if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be here in the first place and you can get older it doesn't mean you don't like you have to not like what you what got you off when you're a kid eating acid or smoking your brains out or going to these gigs having a great time that never changes I'm still a fan of all these groups you
0: know what now you guys were touring as I said you, you toured for a long time you were, you were headlining what led to the yeah. break what led to the breakup I mean is it just ego or is it just you're constantly touring so you know I mean when you live with someone you know they, they irritate you but when you're constantly on the road it must just be something because you probably see each other I mean what led to the breakup
1: the, the first one, you know, things were changing a bit, but not enough to, we were fried. I was fried, Robin was fried. I think all of us were pretty beat up. And when that happens, you, you, you get into the, uh, you know, you start becoming dysfunctional, but what huge band is dysfunctional, you know? Um, it, it's a hard sell, look, the biggest bands in the world, can't even stay together for ten years. That's pretty much a uh, a standard success or no success. You know, you can make it through that, but you know, uh, we like our music. You know, it's like a brotherhood. Like, you know, you don't always get along with your brothers unless your brother stabs, unless it's like A and whatever that uh, you know uh, thing is. Unless your brother stabs you in the back, then right. you got a problem there. You know. But you know, to hang out—it's it, what happened then. The the first go around was we were simply just worked to death. We never had a break. You know, it was like beating a horse that's been worked enough, or beating on rats, should I say? But you know, rats can never be exterminated. So there you go.
0: There you go. <laughs> now, what was it like uh, when you did your solo? When you went solo? What is it like for you to find a band because you had worked with your with Rat for a long time? Now it's like sort of you're going from square one, but you have the respect of the industry, so you can find good players. Where did you find these players, and did you reach out for them? I mean, did you sit there and go, "Hey, you know what? I'm a fan of your work," or did someone say, "Hey, Steve, I'm, you know you should jam with this guy; he'd be perfect for your new project"? How did you get the group of guys that you would play with together?
1: Uh, acquaintances, you know, and I think the first solo guys I had. Well, I went to arcade. I started arcade first, uh, and that was right after that was in '92, right after Rat's first implosion, and that was with Frank Wilson, Fred Corey, and uh, Donny Syracuse, Mike Andrews, and. You know, we did a great record, had a couple had a great deal with Epic Sony. Uh that wasn't bound to continue. Um, and then I took Frank in for the solo record, uh solo band. Eric was my neighbor, uh, just phenomenal, was was progressing leaps and bounds and I said, Hey, you know this stuff and of course he said, Sure I can learn that and He's been around ever since, and I've had other players come and go, or just talented, you know, and I just go out and do what I do. If you're competent, you're competent enough to do the gig, you know? But I wanted to write different things, you know? I wanted to do other things. I just created this label, and I wanted to go, hey, I can. you gotta start somewhere, you know? Uh, started developing bands and new bands, and, you know, but for the solo, uh, it wasn't difficult. I wrote my own songs. A lot of my solo records, I play solos. I do all the guitars. Uh, you know, um, it uh, it was a, a whole different process. You know, it, it just depends on the project. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Now, now you said you know the, the different. You imploded. How many times have you guys been together and broken up with Rat?
1: What, please?
0: How many times have you guys reunited, then not played? Has it, how many times have you done this?
1: Oh, God, like two, three times.
0: Now, what made you decide now to come back? Now you're going on tour, and you're playing in uh, Philadelphia, which. Where I grew up Right in that area I know you're playing I think in the Theater Living Arts But what made What, what decided you To sit there Because you have Your solo career And you're working Your solo career And you have a lot Of stuff going on What made you decide This time to say You know what We're going to go back Was, was it because You think your fan the fans Want to see it Or what, what was The whole Scenario um, You know we, Besides this
1: mess That went down We had to really Reclaim the proper, you know, uh, we had to take care of this integrity business and that's what we did. And it wasn't like we didn't want to tour or a play, it's just that we wanted time off. And, and I, you know, it wasn't good for one person and, and, but, you know, it's water under the bridge, dust is getting settled and we decided, let's go out and do some shows and reestablish real deal and leave it at
0: that you know well people are like
1: something i don't even think about anymore
0: people are glad you're back because i know someone said they saw a rat and it wasn't you and they were pissed but uh now now what made you they they, they were like what this girl i know she's like you know that you know that'd be like going to see the stones without mick you know what i'm saying like you expect something but uh, now, what made you decide to write your book sex drugs, Rat and Rat and Roll I mean did, did they approach you or did you approach them? and how long in your mind, how long were you thinking about writing this book?
1: Well, I'm actually getting ready to do another one towards the end of the year. Um, what made me do that one is is um, you know, I had some thoughts and, and things I wanted just to put out there and you know, some of it's a little therapeutic, some of it's history, a lot of it's fun, uh, nonsense, and... Um, it, it's just something I just felt I had to do, you know? Just let people in on some, some things. It would take ten books to even write about one year in that band, you know? I mean, I couldn't even remember three years back then, you know? It was the, it was like Groundhog Day, you know? <laughs> uh, but it's the people around me. I mean, I don't even know if we talked about meeting Kissinger in there or uh, all these other crazy people. Clearly, to it. I mean, it, it's just crazy. I just, you know, you just you do the same thing every day. It's those. Uh, it's the time off stage that really will take you into, you know, Wizard of Oz land. You know, <laughs> it's not the time on. Stage. Bad parts sitting around, you know, doing the same thing every day, year after year, and so there's a lot to be told there. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't even want to talk about a lot of things because it's just so crazy, you know. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It's good, bad, and ugly. You
0: know? Now, did a, did a publisher approach you when you had the idea, or did you sit there and talk with an agent, or how did this uh, come to fruition?
1: <laughs> I think it was I think it was both ended up with Simon Schuster and uh, it's actually done well um, but uh, the next go around will be a little different
0: you know what will your next one be about
1: well I want it to be about the history and the people and the songs and the music and you know some other stories and, and another lesson and what you have learned, what you experience and the pitfalls and the rewards and you know, not so much the hey, we did this, we did that. That's that's burnt to the ground. You know, everybody knows we we're you know these party freaks. You know.
0: Now you said you met Kissinger. How did that? How did that arise? And was he a fan?
1: Oh God! I, no, he wasn't a fan. <laughs> I was like I wasn't taken out. <laughs> I just approached him on the street, in New York. I guess we we're playing Meadowlands or somewhere. And, you know, we check in the hotel, then by the time we go into to the show, there's this big black car tunnel. And I just happened to come out, and carrying a beer and trench coat on and stuff. And I see him, and I notice him right away. And he was like kind of by himself. And I'm like, why right buy by himself? So I just walked right up and went, "Hey, Henry, <laughs> what's happening?" And then next thing I know these guys are surrounding me. He's like, Okay, you take it easy You know, and I'm like, Hey, could meet you later, you know, it's like, Wow, did I just meet him? I guess I did, because they chased me away.
0: <laughs> you know? That's too funny. How did they
1: know what's under my trench coat, you know? Exactly. I had a beer in my hand. I had a beer in my hand, that's all he saw. He was just like, Whoa if I was like, Whoa, he was saying the same thing, Whoa, was a young man, you know?
0: How about Eastwood?
1: Oh, I met him at a liquor store like fucking eight in the morning, buying buying booze. And I was like, whoa, dude, you party early, don't you? He's like, yeah, you take it easy. And I'm like, wow, please. <laughs> now- I mean, uh, uh, Heston, Charlton Heston. I'm like, wow, Charlton Heston. Good to meet you. He's like, good to meet you, son. <laughs> No, no. I'm not afraid to approach. I'm not afraid to approach anybody. I can give a shit. You know, well, it's like a... Whoopi Goldberg. Like Whoopi Goldberg. One time, I'm in the studio and I see her walking. I go, "Yeah, hey, it's a Whoopi." I go outside. I like, go, "Hey, Whoopi." She, she's like, "What?" I go, "Come over here." She came in, sat in the studio, and we had a chat and took pictures. You know.
0: Well, I, I saw your one tweet where you said uh, Duran Duran wouldn't let you take a picture with him.
1: Yeah, but we did anyway. <laughs> The and the photographer goes, Just go over there and fuck with him and I go, I will <laughs> And I was being nice. I was being nice. Like, hey, I wanna get a picture with you. Nah, I like your band. You know, and the little you know, I wanted to get into depth with him, like, hey, I like you know, like that one video, it's really cool. And he was like, just blow me off and I was like, Fuck this guy. I'm gonna get a picture anyway. <laughs> what was that? Mean? Line, it was at the limelight in New York and it was like every everybody and it's like, you know, I'm seeing Drew Barrymore in there and taking pictures. I'm like, what the
0: hell are you doing here, drinking? You're like freaking 11 years old. Now, do you, with your new book and your other book, did you do a book tour or what have people, have have you gotten a lot of uh, feedback from people? Are they enjoying the book? Do they they love your storytelling?
1: Yeah, they liked it to this day. They still, you know, I still get uh, reminded it's a good thing. You know, it was, it was a good, it was a good tell. You know, um, but you know, if I'm going to get to writing another one, I got to get busier today. So we'll
0: leave it at that. Now, when you go on your solo tour, you just were touring. You your dates. Do you play any yeah. Rat songs, or what is what? What will people see when you when they come? I'm sure they'll see the same stage persona, but yeah. what will they see and hear?
1: Well, they're going to hear some good music kicking your ass, number one. Then you're going to hear some rad hits. You're going to hear a lot of smash. We could throw in an arcade. I could play a Zeppelin or Priest or Sabbath cover. I mean, I don't know. It depends on the audience, you know. If they get crazy, I'll get crazy too. I mean, I just flip the switch and get out there and whatever happens, happens, you know.
0: Now, do you have to work out a lot just to stay in shape, even when you guys are on the road? Because the front, man, you guys guys are... The front men and the drummers are the guys who were working their asses off. I mean, did you have a regiment back then? Because, I mean, I'm sure, you know, with the partying, that yeah, would take big taxes <laughs> on you, but you have to be in good shape.
1: No, man. Back then, my exercise was a stage, hence all my injuries, you know, broken ribs, lost kneecap, you know, and this and that. But, uh, no, it was just Jack and cigarettes, man. It was just <laughs> get up there. <laughs> That was my exercise, and then whatever happened after, before, and, and, and during the day, you know, uh, that was about it, you know. Nowadays, it's a little different, you know. It's like uh, coffee and water, and let's go, you
0: know. Now, your, your solo tour, how do you decide where you're going to play? And even when you're going out with the Rat again, how do you guys decide where you're going to play? And there are some places that you really want to play, but you just didn't get the schedule?
1: Um. Yeah. W- w- with with uh, my solo band, I I'll go where all bands here to go. You know, uh, I'll go. You know, somebody wants to take care of business, I'll take care of business. You know, and we have a great time. Um With uh, Rat, you know, we like to. You know, hence the festivals and stuff, and, and the other shows creep in, and we decide on what where we want to play, and we play. You know, take it slow and. If that's the process I'm trying to get underway here. You know, I think next year would be hopefully the the real deal. Um, right now, we're just reintroducing and cleaning up, you know, cleaning up the mess.
0: Now, you also, also do, you invented a product, I believe, a mic stand or something?
1: A mic knuckles. What is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a handheld brass, you know, it's like a brass knuckles with spikes and Coming all colors and stuff, and it's hands free, so you get no clitter clatter on your microphone, you know, from uh, jewelry or rings or whatever. And it's a defense mechanism too. And if somebody gets to of hand, you can just smack them in the head.
0: <laughs> have you ever been scared on stage? Like, have you ever like has anyone ever rushed you that you said, "Holy crap, this is you know," or just overwhelmed? I mean, I know that happens a lot, you know, overseas yeah. where the fans well, go crazy.
1: Like I say, it, it's a dangerous occupation, you know, uh, uh, pretty much done by your one self, but but our audience, pretty mellow. I mean, we've had some incidents, but, uh, you know, don't dwell on it. We're mm-hmm. still here, so,
0: oh. you know. Now, are you still into the cars? you still into the drag racing, or is it something that stopped you?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. always trying to get something going this year to uh, uh, co-sponsor and. Uh, but that's big business, you know, you got to know what you're getting into. It's cross-marketing, it's way involved, but uh, I've got game ready to go, and, and uh, we're working on stuff right now, and we'll see what happens, you
0: know. Now, did you ever jump over to the acting? Has that something ever, ever, ever had an interest to you?
1: I've done little skits and scats here, you know, the last thing I did was with uh, this TV show, Wicked City, which I wrote, you know, but. Security guy, and, and it was at whiskey in the early '80s. Um, I like that show kind yeah. of scenario. Yeah, I didn't. It didn't do a thing. But then, yeah, and then I did an indie film, Camp Utopia, and, and I've done some the uh, uh, minor things. But I've really not taken that seriously. That's a whole nother ball. Gotta ask Michael Cabbat about that.
0: Now, when you perform nowadays, do you still? still feel you have the energy level, or is it after the show, or is it getting harder on you?
1: Um, no, because I don't, I, I just, that other guy comes out, you know. It's different than the one talking to you, you know. Um, it's, it's. I, like I say, I flip a switch, and that guy goes on, and then turn it off, and then this other guy goes up, you know, and real life appears, you know. And I think it's kind of been that way. I don't carry this thing about I need mean, adulation or, you know, an ass kissing or, you know, I just do what I do. I yell at you, I sing, whatever you want to call it, and I have fun, and you enjoy it, and I get off on it, and so I do it, you know. I get it, too. I mean, hey, people still come around, and that's very respectful, you know, for people to still, you know, they want you in the game as long as you can be in there,
0: you know? What is it like as a performer when you see people who have been a fan for a long time and now they're starting bringing, you know, their kids or their grandkids? I mean, that must just be something, a very surreal thing because you're like, wow, I've actually, our music has touched a few generations. Generations,
1: yeah, it's great. I think it's brilliant because music has gone through so many different pieces and labels and, You know things like that, so um, it's great. More the merrier. Now you're but uh, anyway, um, I got to uh, get get a move on. Okay, about cutting this short. I don't know how you want to edit this, but yeah. um, But thank you, I appreciate
0: it. Hey, no problem, man. And and, now give your give your website info real quick. It's uh, stephen piercycom Right.
1: Yes, and all dates are up there. And you know, the dates, uh, both bands. We start the solo stuff here next week, and they don't interfere with each other, so that's a good thing. And I respect the both, and off and running.
0: And it's your Twitter, year. your Twitter is,
1: um, I believe it's s at s e Okay. Well, hey
0: man, I want to thank you
1: for,
0: I want to thank you for coming on appreciate it. It was, good. it was a good good time. Anyway, so people, please check him out. Go watch the videos. Go look at his website. His website's a kick-ass website. Go go check that out. So yeah, follow him. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at CooperTalk. That's at CooperTalk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have almost 600 episodes up there. And that's about it. Send me an email, Cooper at CooperTalk.net, and buy my cookbook, Stop the Salt. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only a hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.